0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text from Philippians, where Paul writes, now that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Dear friends of Christ, today our text is about uh, contentment. And I think that's something that is rather difficult for us to, to do as human beings, uh, to be content. And um, I I think many people in this world, I wonder how many people really understand contentment. You know what it takes to be content. Uh, I think very few. And I guess we could ask the question, too, are you content? And if you say you're content, is that really true? <laughs> Certainly there are times when we say, yes, I'm content. And there are times where you say, no, no, I'm not. There's so many things in this world that we want, so many th- things in this world that we want to do, so many things in this world uh, that we want to have. And that's why so many lives are unfulfilled. And people don't have all they want, or they don't have all that they think they deserve. And so they're not content. Um, In our text today, Paul challenges all that. And St. Paul gives us advice. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And Paul wrote this about contentment when he was in prison. He wasn't in a five-star motel. He was in chains, and he was in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. And so here you have Paul. He's doing God's will. Um, the, The government arrests him and throws him into prison. And yet he's content. And not just content, he's very content. He's even content to die. And he lets, our, he lets us know that in his writings. But even though Paul was content, he had some concerns. And one of the concerns was the church of Philippi, very wealthy church. And uh, it was the first church in Europe. This very wealthy church loved their things. They loved their pleasures. And the danger was that they would love their things and love their pleasures more than they love God. And so... Paul writes to this church, his concerns, gives them these words of advice, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we consider our theme this morning, be content. If you're like most people, however, those words don't mean much. If I tell you, just be content, and you say, well, I'd love to be content, just don't be anxious, okay? That's like, that's like uh, you know, telling a child to be an adult, be content, don't be anxious. You see, our sinful heart works against us here, and we are by nature people who worry. We are by nature people who fear. And we're by nature people who grumble. And we grumble about all kinds of things. That's why many people worry and many people fear. And, and, uh, and we grow discontent with our things and, and, the, and the things around us. Um, but do you know why discontentment is a sin? Did you even know that being discontent with the things that you have is a sin? It's a sin... Because you're not trusting in the Lord to provide. When when we grumble and complain, when we're not happy, we're saying, Lord, what you've given me isn't sufficient. And I don't know how we can do that. How can you possibly look at the cross and know the gift that was given and the blood that was shed and say, what you've given me in this life is not sufficient? I love what our Old Testament lesson says. It says, you know, it's talking about heaven. It's talking about Christ returns, and we're, we're, we have our glorified bodies as a resurrection of all flesh, and we're standing before God, and we're living in his new kingdom, and wine abounds, and food abounds, and happiness abounds, and, and contentment abounds. And we say, We have waited for him. We have waited so long for him. And here he is. We have waited. And we now are glad and rejoice in the salvation of our Lord. How can you not be content when you have that kind of promise coming? How can you not be content in this world no matter what happens in your life? Even when uh, a boy like Austin, all of a sudden his heart stops. And he falls to the ground and everybody says, oh, this isn't good. And it's not good. But to know that we have salvation in God, whether in good or bad, whether in any situation, I am able to be content. Because I've learned the secret of contentment. And Paul knows the secret of contentment. He talks about it. He says, I think about all those good things that God has done for me. I want you to think about all the good things that God has done for you. Uh, You know, The the gift that he gave on the cross, the, the shedding of the blood. He gave you his son Jesus Christ because he loves you. That's a good thing. And because of that, you're going to have an eternity. I mean forever and ever being content and never having a day, a moment of discontentment. But in this life, where there's sin and death and brokenness, where hearts stop beating and people stop breathing and they die, where relationships fall apart, in this life, it's this promise of this forgiveness. is this promise of a Savior who loved us so much that He shed His blood for us. It's that promise that gives us that contentment in all situations, in hunger, being well fed. Paul says, uh, in hard times or in good times, I've learned the secret of being content. And then he gives you that long list. I think about all the good things God has given me. And when I think about all the good things, all the blessings, and all the gifts, and my salvation, then he simply says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In order to combat this problem in us, though, of discontentment, this natural sin nature we have in our heart, to grumble and complain, to not like things, to combat an anxious heart, to combat... Uh, you know, the times that we're not content, I want you to think about what Jesus said. He said, "Lay uh, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does it mean to lay treasures in heaven? Well, what that simply means is that we that we realize all the gifts that God has given us and we, we hold His, His blood, His forgiveness, the righteousness that God gives us. He covers us with His, with His robe of righteousness. In our gospel lesson today, somebody showed up to the wedding feast, they didn't have the garment on. They weren't forgiven. And God says, what are you doing at the wedding feast? Oh, there were good people there. There were bad people there, but their sins were forgiven. And one guy shows up, but he doesn't wear Christ." And he says, what are you doing in the wedding feast? You don't belong here. You see, we have a gift, the robe of righteousness. And what a wonderful gift this is for us to be able to proclaim, I am content, I have this salvation. And we occupy ourselves with the things of this world. And we think the things of this world are the things that really matter, the stuff and the things. And the enemy of contentment comes when we occupy ourselves with the things of this world. And there are three things of this world, I think, that rob us of contentment. I'd like to consider jealousy. I'd like to consider the love of money and false theology. The, the enemies of contentment, jealousy. And you'll, you'll, you have that. Everybody has this, this sin in us. A jealous person is looking around and always comparing what everybody else has. Uh, maybe better hair, maybe somebody has a better house, maybe somebody has a better spouse, or uh, maybe somebody has a better car or a better job. A jealous person says, why can't I have friends like that? A jealous person says, why does my life always come up short? Why, Why am I always unlucky with love and relationships? Why can't I have the things that make me happy like everybody else has? I must be the most unlucky person alive. It's not fair, I tell you. It's not fair. And such is the attitude of jealousy. It may be a rotten job. It may be a rotten family. It may be just flat rotten luck. But the worldly man who does not know the peace of Christ is upset because other people have it better than he. He's angry and envious because of what other people have. And then he fills himself with sorrow. He fills himself with dissatisfaction. Because we take all the things of God's created world and we elevate them. My wife... My, my things, my possessions, and these things are going to make me happy, and then we treat them like God, because only God can give us true happiness, true contentment, as Paul learned. And I elevate my beauty, I elevate my youth, I elevate my health, I ele- elevate uh, my life, my car, my possessions, and I put them all, if I have all this, I'll be happy, and then they disappoint me because they're false gods. The, who belongs up here? God alone. God alone. And when we put God up there and we realize what He's done for us and we worship God alone, how can we not be content for the promises that He's going to give us, the promise He gives us to get us through this world into the world that's to come? But the worldly man who fills himself with sorrow, he doesn't have what everybody else has. And Paul says the sorrow of the world produces death. But there's another kind of sorrow that God wants us to have. It's a godly, heartfelt sorrow. It's called repentance. It's realizing that I have this this greedy heart, this, this heart that's discontent, this heart that doesn't even like the food that's placed in front of me. I'm not even content with the food that is given to me on a daily basis. It's that heart that seeks forgiveness for that and realizes that I have, and I remember what Jesus has done for me, how he suffered and how he died. He gives me a glimpse of, of the eternal life that he's going to give me. If I, you know, I, I truly believe if we could just simply see heaven, just a glimpse of it, we'd give up this life in a moment just to be there. If only we knew what we really possess, our heavenly treasure. We would let loose of all these worldly attractions that are, are so, uh, that, that these fatal attractions that destroy our soul. So that we can eventually learn to say with Paul, I've learned the secret of being content. Thinking about all the things of Christ and putting them in my heart. It's a process. Paul says you have to put it into practice. If you want to have a heart that is content, you have to be intentional about it. You have to wake up in the morning and he says, what you've seen in me, what you've heard in me, what what, what you've seen me preach, put those things into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so it's a process, isn't it? of confession, of godly heartfelt sorrow, of coming to God and saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then realizing all the gifts that He showers upon us and thinking about all those good things and all those blessings and basking in them and rejoicing in God and saying with Paul, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. The second thing that robs us of uh, being content is the love of money or the things that money can buy, possessions. And of course, uh, you know, we talk about a a new car, a larger home, uh, a large TV or the best computer that money can buy. And then Satan comes and he spins this lie in our hearts. The lie is something like this. He tells us that we will never be happy unless. Satan's lied to you that way he puts it into your heart, you'll never be happy unless, and then you apply it to yourself. I'll never be happy unless I find a new spouse. I'll never be happy unless I'm thinner. I'll never be happy unless I'm more beautiful. I'll never be happy unless I'm healthier. I'll never be unhappy unless I'm younger. I'll never be unhappy unless I'm single again. I'll never be happy unless I'm wealthy. I'll never be happy unless, and you can apply your own conditions. But remember, as you set those conditions, they're set by a satanic, demonic desire of not being content. And then putting all those things up there, your spouse and your car and your job and your children and expecting them to bring you peace and joy when the only one who can bring you that contentment is God. And all these things that God created are, are, are disappointing you and letting you down. And you become discontent. Oh sure, you know you buy a new car, it's going to bring you joy for a moment. It won't take long that car gets old, starts falling apart and you're cursing it and the joy is gone. Everything in this life, everything in this life, every material possession in this life lets us down. It's not God. And Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. It's putting God in His place and understanding the blessings that He's giving me and remembering those blessings every day and letting the blood of Christ flow down upon me and then putting on this robe of righteousness and living in that joy of what God has given me, whether in life or in death, whether in sickness or in health, whether in danger or whether in good stead. Remember those conditions for secured happiness come from a satanic lie. The real sin is that if we get more, we want more. If we acquire more, we want to acquire more. But in the end, it, we never find contentment. The third enemy of contentment is false theology. And, and by that, I, I want to use this illustration. Um, people believe that if they pray, they're going to get what they prayed for. That's a false teaching out there. If I pray hard enough, God's going to give me what I pray for. I just have, to have, I just have to have enough faith. And then, of course, if you pray for it and you don't get it, then you think, I must have a weak faith. Or you think God's not faithful because God wasn't good enough to love you to give you what you want. Discontentment. I prayed for it. I didn't get it. But what about Jesus? I want you to consider what he did the night before he died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, he prayed three times. And he prayed sincerely. He prayed fervently that the Lord make this cup pass from him. I don't want to suffer. Let this cup of wrath, let this cup of suffering pass pass by me. And three times, God the Father said, no. No. It's my will that you suffer so that people can live. So it has nothing to do about your faith. It has nothing to do about whether you're weak or not. Sometimes God teaches us through suffering. You remember the Apostle Paul, his thorn in the flesh? Remember that thing? Don't know what it was. It could have been blindness. It could have been epilepsy. We don't know what it was. But he prays three times, and he's very sincere Three times he goes to the Lord and says, remove this thorn in the flesh. I'll be a better pastor if it's gone. And Jesus says, no. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul said, so now I'm boasting about my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong because I'm leaning on God. I wonder how often we forget all the things the Lord does for us. To lean on God every day for His daily provision, the sun to rise, the water from the heavens to fall, how He gives life to His creatures, how He gives beauty to His creation. But of course, the greatest gift is His Son, Jesus Christ, the sin bearer. To know Christ is to be content. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. To trust in Christ is to have the doors of heaven thrown open for you. To trust in Christ is is to hear His, His declaration. You are not guilty. God is not angry with you. God receives you. The blood has been shed. The price has been paid. Come, you're my children. To trust in God is to know that the Lord Almighty has prepared you for the wedding feast and He has clothed you with the robe, the wedding garment, so that you can be the bride and He is your groom. Now, God doesn't promise everything we want, but He gives us everything we need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have, If we have all the necessities, and we do, if we have all the spiritual blessings, and we do, we have enough to be content. A wise Christian once wrote these words, I prayed for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might pray. I asked for health that I might do great things. He gave me grace that I might do better things. I prayed, I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. He gave me weakness so that I might depend on him. I asked for all the things that I might enjoy life. He gave me life so that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for. He gave me all that I hoped for. And so it is with you too. May the Lord enable us to be content with little and with much. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.